Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry and this, of course, as always, is my co-host. And I am Chris Huddleston. And today we are excited to be talking to you about the 2020 recent film, Possessor. You have a very special nature. One we've worked hard together to unlock. Results are normal. Anything you want to flag? No. No, I'm fine. Mom! Hi, darling. How was your trip? Dull. Extraordinarily dull. Our next contract's a big one. The target is the CEO of the largest operation in the U.S. You'll be binding to Colin Tate. We can't afford any mistakes on this one. Ready? Today. What do you mean? I'm in place. Can I help you? Finish this. What are you doing? I can't pull the trigger. I need to know. I need to know what she's done to me. It's become a danger. Where is she? Come out or I'll do it! Sometimes, that small thought is all it takes to lose control. Okay, good trailer, good trailer. Um, do you have a synopsis for us, Chris? I do, I do. And uh, as you said, the 2020 recent film, uh, so this is not a 30 or 40-year-old movie like a lot of the things that we watch, so a definite spoiler alert for this. If you Definite spoiler. We are going to talk about it and all of it right up front. So if you haven't seen Possessor and you want to go into it, um, with unsullied expectations, please don't listen to this podcast right now. Go watch the movie and then listen to this podcast. Exactly. So uh, 2020 Canadian film directed by Brandon Cronenberg, who is the son of David Cronenberg, and it stars Andrea Riseborough uh, as Tasia Voss, who is an assassin. Um, she works for a, a an agency or a corporation. We can talk about that. It's not exactly clear. Um, and the way the assassination works, the assassinations work is her employer implants her consciousness into uh, the body of someone close to the target of the assassination. So a family member or a friend or an employee or someone like that. So she inhabits this per this person or possesses them. And at the point that uh, we are introduced to her in the movie, it seems that she has been doing this for a while and it's starting to take a toll on her and in terms of being able to control the person that she is possessing. The idea is that she would have total control so she can, uh, take out the assassination, but she's starting to have difficulty with that. The uh, We see one of her, the first hit job that we see from her in the movie, uh, she's supposed to shoot the person and instead she stabs them. And then she is supposed to shoot herself in the mouth so that the, uh, the, the person is dead and she's not able to do that. And then the rest of the movie is she moves on to her next hit job where 
she inhabits the body of a man who is dating a woman whose father is this powerful CEO. And when she possesses him, she has even more trouble taking control. So then we can we can start from there with the discussion, I'd say. What did, what did you think of this, Chris? I enjoyed it. Um, you know, having just played the trailer, I will say that the tone of the film does not quite match the tone of the trailer. The, the tone of the trailer is pulse-quickening, high-tension horror. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, possibly that end of the, you know, kind of thriller um, genre. And what I felt like watching the film is it's definitely bloody. You know, there is a horror element of there's a lot of stabbing. um, There's some gunshots. There's a lot of bleeding. Mm -hmm. Um, But the overall tone of the film is one of, I want to say, sort of fatigue and sadness like those are the emotional things i experienced the most mm-hmm. on on the screen and it's um it's like a tension throughout even the even the moments of high impact where a murder is taking place and there's a there's a number of scenes where somebody is either repeatedly stabbing or or there's a a meat cleaver scene where somebody's just you know whack 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 with a meat cleaver they don't i felt a, a, a disconnect watching those scenes like it didn't wrench in my gut the way i imagined it was intended to um but i i i mean I did enjoy the movie. I didn't really watch it as a horror movie. I, actually I didn't think so either. Yeah. As a sci-fi movie that, you know, there's a sort of a branch of sci-fi that is kind of high concept, that it's more about this premise of being able to possess another person. Oh, there's an implant in the head. And, that you know, what are the implications of taking over somebody's consciousness? What are the mechanics of that? They talk about, you know, if you see any... Um, pixelating isn't the word, uh, uh, artifacting or, you know, they, they have these sort of techno terms for what we, we who follow the the main character see that she is experiencing these things mm-hmm. that are supposed to be red flags. Um, you know, so it's, it, to me, it felt more in the sort of cerebral end of science fiction. You know, there aren't spaceships flying around, but there is this kind of near future magical technology of mind control. But then it sort of plays out like a thriller, like the boss. What will the boss, to what lengths will the boss go to control this agent who she professes to like, but you don't really believe? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It felt more like a thriller and a spy thing. Um, I'm hearing you agree. What yeah, are yeah. your thoughts? So uh, what you're saying there, with, yeah, it definitely the, the trailer, and, and this has been... Uh, uh, you know, this has been described as a horror movie and on IMDb it's listed as, uh, I think horror, sci-fi and thriller. Um, so the, the, uh, the main character here played by Andrea Riseborough, she, um, this actor is in one of my favorite black mirror episodes and this it, feel- sorry, if I can just interject for one quick second, I'm sorry to break your thought. It's sure. definitely marketed as horror. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you, if you look on the podcast and you can see the art that I added, I just, you know, it's stock that I pulled off of the, you know, just Google it to find the this creepy this image of, yeah. of the sort of uh, someone wearing a, a face, like a skin mask. You know, it's, it's clearly, and listen to the trailer. It's, it's clearly marketed as horror. Mm-hmm. It's not ambiguous in the marketing. No, anyway, no. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, I no. just want to get that thought in there. So you, one of your favorite Black Mirror episodes. Yeah, she's she's in one of my favorite Black Mirror episodes, which is called Crocodile. And um, I think it's interesting because this feels a lot like maybe a feature length Black Mirror episode. You know, it has that kind of tone. Like you said, it's, yeah. it's more, it's not really, you know, there's a little bit of action in it. It's not really an action thing. It's, it's, you know, meant to be thought provoking 
sci-fi. Um, Which one is Crocodile? Because I have watched all the Black Mirror, but I don't Crocodile remember all of them. Crocodile is the one. Crocodile is the one where they have a, um, uh, I think everybody has like a camera implanted in their eye and they can, um, so when there's uh, a crime or some kind of an accident, the insurance companies will come in and they can um, view the recording that the, that the like anybody who witnesses that so i don't want to say too much if people haven't seen this because the no no i yeah i remember remember this one she's like in a it sort of spins out of control she's like a corporate person yeah and things kind of go sideways and the more she tries to correct it that particular technology you described keeps driving things which you know nobody makes her do anything but she keeps going to further and further extremes to try and Stay out of the hot seat, right. basically. But yeah, I remember that now. That's a good one. Yeah, I like that one a lot. Uh, it has a. It, I like the, the ending is is pretty great. But uh, um, but yeah, this and you know all of the Black Mirror episodes, they're all kind of depressing, you know, and and so this has some of that that bleak, bleak, usually. bleak. Yeah, this has some of that bleak feel, and I thought it, it was interesting. Some of the the ideas that they're kind of exploring here, it made me the, these are two very, very different movies, but it made me think some of, um, there's a George Clooney movie from 10 or 12 years ago called the American. Have you ever seen it? Mm -hmm. Uh, and where, you know, he's an assassin and I, in Italy, in Italy. Yeah. And the interesting thing about the movie is it, presents i think what being an assassin in real life would be like much more so you know it's not like james bond where it's you're driving around in fancy cars and you know sleeping with beautiful women and everything it would be this very isolated existence because you know you you couldn't get close to anybody because they're probably going to get killed um you know all that so there's there's some of that feeling in in this and there's also this kind of exploration of what is a person's identity. You know, she is, and we don't know if she's always been this way or it's just the the job has, has done this to her, but she's married and has a son and she's separated from the husband. And there's a scene right after she gets out of um, the first hit job that we see that she does in the movie. She goes to see her husband and her son and she's rehearsing what she's going to say to them. And then later in the movie, we see when she's going to take her next job, um, you know, to take over the person's identity, she rehearses, you know, they have, she's recording the guy speaking. And so she's rehearsing, trying to sound like, you know, his speech pattern and all of that. So you get kind of this feeling that at this point in her life, does she even have a real identity? You know, she has to, she has to practice to go and speak with uh, her husband. And, and I, th- I thought that was interesting how they, they handled, handled that. But as you say, yeah. it's, it's with the trailer, it's definitely presented as a horror movie. And I think, as I remember, I've only, I think I've only watched the, the trailer once or twice, but uh, it, it seemed like a, a, it's presented as being really trippy and, and there's a little bit of that in this, but, but not a whole lot. It's pretty, um, you know, this isn't a, a movie where I feel like, um, not everything is spoon fed to you, but it's, it's not all that ambiguous. I mean, I think you kind of understand by the end, you know, really what's going on, but, uh, yeah, the only part of it that I, that was a mystery to me was, once we got sort of deep into it, and they set it up, they say, you know, oh, you know, after three days or something like that, the risk of you losing cohesion or whatever they call it mm-hmm. goes way up. And uh, guess what? We get there. And there there comes a period where you're not sure who's driving. So she is possessing the body of a young man, young man, I don't know, they're about the same age, whatever, mm-hmm. of a man and we see him at one point sort of rest control back right and but then but then she kind of gets the driver's seat again 
But then it kind of goes back and forth. And there's a period where you're not sure scene to scene precisely who's driving. And that's the only part where I was like, wait, did he do that or did she do that? Right. It doesn't matter. Um, and then we get to an end that isn't exactly a twist, but it's, you know, it's kind of messed up um, conceptually. But like, I think a really effective twist needs to have like a sixth sense, like, oh, my God, I totally didn't see that coming. Right. Mm hmm. Or the Matrix when he when he wakes up and you're like, what is happening? Yeah, early on when he when he wakes up in the you know future. Um, and this one, you know, you there's sort of you're like, what, what? And then you go, oh snap, that is dark. But it didn't get more intense than that for me, right? And I think it's because, okay, well we're spoiling it. Right. So, yeah, you go um, ahead and say what happened. You know, so her controller or her boss or whatever turns out that she's sort of plugged in and has possessed the woman's son. Mm -hmm. And it's the son, the son stabs her, the quote unquote son stabs her, and she shoots the quote unquote son and who's acting weird. And you don't realize what's going on until then they kind of pull the masks off and then the woman is back. She's out and she looks over and her boss slash friend, slash superior, whatever, uh, is lying there. And you realize that she was plugged in as the son. And the messed up thing is, so yes, she went in to save her, but she also went in to, <laughs> you know, to get rid of this, what she perceived as the complicating factor in exactly, this sort yeah. of agent's life, which is the husband and son. Um, and that's great on paper. I, 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 I don't want to seem overly harsh, but I didn't really care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like, no, not the boy. Mm -hmm. I just didn't. The You know, uh, the whole thing felt sort of sad and disconnected. And I think part of the problem is, you know, in a James Bond movie, you're rooting for James Bond. Um, even if the even if the spy that you're supposed to be rooting for is a complicated antihero, like even if you don't approve of the mission they're on. The idea is that you're rooting for them, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I ever felt like I was particularly rooting for her in this movie. I mean, it seemed like what she was doing was very corporate and very dirty. Yeah. Like, they're, they're hired assassins. It's not even like a secret government agency, you know, trying to root out the bad people on the planet because nobody else will sanction it. No, it's just a corporate thing of like, who can we kill to get ourselves ahead? Yeah, <laughs> right? they were literally, you, they didn't tell you with the first one, but with the second one, which comprises most of the story, they're wanting to kill the CEO so they can take over his company, <laughs> you know? And they're, they're doing it by possessing this schlub basically mm -hmm. who happened to be having a relationship with the the rich ceo's daughter mm -hmm. and you know the guy is sort of a patsy and the young woman is sort of an entitled you know rich I don't know, rich brat, yeah, brat. Rich daughter, yeah i mean yeah. i don't whether you fault her for that or not you know she's hard to be sympathetic to she didn't do anything wrong mm -hmm. but super entitled and the boss, played by Sean Bean, which is fun because I love Sean Bean, mm -hmm. is a total jerk. I mean, he is an absolute a-hole. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's not like you care about him getting killed per se, but it is a stone-cold murder uh, for nothing other than profit motives. It's not like we need to kill him because he's a bad guy. It's we need to kill him so we can take his company. And there, you know, it, and the, at the very least, murdering a guy who is a jerk, but also murdering his daughter who yes, is entitled, but didn't really do anything wrong. And more importantly, murdering this young guy who's just happened to sort of be in a relationship with the daughter. So yeah. you think, wow, it's like, I guess. So you're kind of the bad guys. I mean, yeah, why are we supposed to be rooting for you? Yeah. That, that, and that struck me watching it. I was thinking, you know, exactly what you're saying. If it's just a normal assassin, situation the assassin goes and kills the person you know and that's it but with this you know they're the whole idea is to make it look as if this other person 
you know, they just went crazy or whatever, or they hated the person, you know, whatever. So then you, it's like all these lives are being destroyed, you know, to, uh, to take this one person out instead of kind of the traditional, I guess you'd say assassin, um, yeah, you know, kind of method of it's just right. I mean, if you shot somebody with a sniper rifle, sniper rifle through their plate glass window, you'd you'd get that person dead, but it would be obvious that they were assassinated. Right. This is this is a way of doing it to make it look like, uh oh, perfectly human things went sort of horribly wrong, and X person X Y and Z ended up dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it was sort of a murder suicide by this disturbed individual. And case closed, right? And part of the part of the need for the possessed to put a gun in their mouth and blow their brains out that way is that they implant, they abduct the person first in a van and they implant this little port in the top of their head right. to get into their brain. And if you put a bullet through that and you blow the back of your head off, there goes the evidence of that too. Yeah. So they don't, you know, if you if you cut your own throat or somebody else has to come in and slit your wrists, there's your corpse, but it's got this weird jack in its head. And, mm-hmm. you know, investigators would say, what's that thing? Right? right. I mean, it's a loose, big, loose thread. I did think it was interesting. Like, I think that relatability problem is at the core of why this movie didn't feel more engaging in a in like an in empathetic way to me, mm-hmm. so I think that's at the core of my um, issue. If I'm going to criticize it, that's at the core of that. There was lots. I mean, the performances are good. Um, I I think that there's they play around with a lot of interesting stuff. Like the woman is cl- the assassin. The lead is clearly sort of losing her mind, yeah. right? So when she's rehearsing to talk with her family, I did feel a pang of sympathy for that. I'm like, well, I don't know why you're choosing to do this. She seemed almost addicted to it. Like she couldn't wait to get away from them. She's like, oh, work called. Work didn't call. You feel the need to get like back in the saddle, you know, like an addict. Um, But I also, her husband was weird like the person playing her husband was weird and the yeah, son did that seem particularly i was like uh, i was that deliberate or is it just a weird casting thing it's, i i, I that know? struck me too the guy's voice i i was i kind of thought i don't i hope this guy isn't in this a lot because he sounded almost like a like a cartoon voiceover actor or something. You know what I mean? It seemed out of place for how, what was that accent? Was that like Brooklyn accent or something? I don't know. It was I almost mean, like, babe, what are you talking about? I mean, it's not that, yeah. but it's thick like that. And he wasn't acting a cartoon performance. Mm-hmm. Um, there were some shots where he was like, you know, I hate this. I, why, why do you have to keep leaving? And he was sincere. Yeah. Like, it's not that the guy's a bad actor. And I think that's just his voice, but everybody else was, was very really, subtle kind of. And then he yeah, kind of stood out. It was know? a really thick, specific regional accent. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be like a New York accent. And the whole thing felt kind of Canadian to me. So I'm like, yeah, it's a Canadian movie. Yeah. It, it, why it was shot is in this Toronto. guy, you know, not that a New Yorker can't move to Canada, but I've just, it felt like such a specific thing. For no reason. Yeah. And it was never addressed or discussed. And I found it distracting. Yeah. I, I, I felt exactly the same way that uh, I'm, it's interesting that, you know, that you brought that up, but, but I felt like, you know, the reason you have this husband and kid there is you're like, you want her, you're like, Oh no, the family, the loving husband, the great kid. Like we want her to want to be back a part of that. And then when she kills the husband it's supposed to be a Hamlet, like, no, no, you know? And then when the son dies, you're like, no, no. And I just didn't care one ounce. I could not have cared less. Well, and in that scene, so, she says, you know, we're, so it's, uh, that's kind of a major point in the scene there where she's uh, struggling back. You know, it's like she's struggling with uh, the guy she's inhabiting for the consciousness. And they actually show you know, for you to have a visual representation of it, they show the man and her standing there in this kitchen while the guy is holding the gun to her husband's head. And she says, 
And I don't know. It, basically, she says, I don't know if I even love him, if, if I ever even loved him. And I kind of wondered, I might be reading too much into this. Right. And just to clarify, she is in, in yeah. the guy's head. Yeah. It, but she is having a conversation with the guy who is now back in control. Right. And he is trying to threaten her, who is in his head. But we see it on screen as her standing there in the kitchen with him. And so he's threatening to kill the husband. And she's saying, sort of trying to go talk ahead. him out of it, being like, you know, well, she's saying go ahead, but it's kind of like, you're not really going to hurt me by killing him. Yeah. There, there won't be any point to you doing that. You'll just be murdering a guy. Right. But like, I, you're here because you're trying to get back at me. But this is not really the way to do it. Yeah. And he kills him anyway. Um, I kind of wondered, and I might be reading too much into this, but I kind of wondered, you know, we don't know how long she's been an assassin. We don't know how many people she's killed. And I kind of wondered if the... Uh, if how much influence maybe a past person that she had uh, possessed, because we don't know, you know, if she carries these people's memories around with her or if they're totally wiped or what. But I kind of wondered maybe if it was really somebody that she had possessed was in love with this guy, you know, and maybe she... interesting. I, like I say, I could be reading too, too much into it, but I kind of wondered if it was just like, well, she got involved with this guy because someone prior to this actually loved him and she had some yeah. you know, remnant of that. Because we see her, uh, once she inhabits this man, I think Tate is his name, um, and uh, Colin Tate is his name, where she's going and uh, kind of watching through the window um and there's actually a scene where he goes and, uh, you know, is well, that's where he goes to to fight them. But he goes and, and talks to the boy outside. Um, so, you know, she's kind of looking at them from afar. And I'm sure that probably, you know, maybe that happened with other of the identities that she was involved with. I don't know. I don't I would like to also take a moment and be like I feel like I'm harshing a lot on this movie but I did enjoy it. I thought it was a good film. Mm-hmm. Um it was good enough that I feel like I can pick it apart. So I'm not I'm not this is not saying hey don't go see this film as much as like it was good enough that I saw what I feel like it was going for and we're sort of picking apart the ways in which at least I'll speak for myself, and the ways in which I felt it didn't quite deliver on what I perceived it was going for. Yeah. Um, uh, and I just want to, you know, as we continue to, to pick at it here, I want to be like, I thought it was, there was a lot, a lot of interesting stuff. And my favorite stuff about it was, like you're discussing, it was interesting to see, you, it didn't spoon feed you a lot of answers to this stuff. And, and it was really fertile stuff to be like, oh, is it? Maybe this is, you know, there were layers upon layers of this whole mind possession stuff. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was really interesting to watch her inhabit this guy and wake up in bed with his girlfriend and (laughs) make love to his girlfriend and know that it's this person who really knows nothing about this guy, like has watched him for a day. You know, she doesn't. It's not like yeah. he's been her next door neighbor for, you know, she just just plops right into this to to be this person. And the girlfriend notices it right away. She's like, you're acting weird today. Yeah. And it, it that that was pulse quickening because you're like, oh, man, I wouldn't want to pretend to literally be somebody else not knowing anything about them or how they talk or would they say this or that or, you know. We really got your mind spinning in a lot of those. What would it be like to have to not just portray someone else, but be that person? Go and do their job. I was thinking about, so he works. So this company, I guess they make blinds and curtains and things like that. I don't know. But he had to go and uh, I didn't completely understand what it exactly was that they were doing. I I have thoughts on that. Okay. Finish yours. But but they had, he worked in this kind of lowly department in the, in the company where they would have VR glasses and they would see in these people's homes or apartments or whatever. And they were, were identifying 
uh, what kind of, you know, blinds or, or curtains or whatever they had. And he, uh, or she, when she first starts doing it is having some difficulty and you kind of get the idea that, that maybe then his memory is starting to take over a little bit for, so there had to be some of the person's memory in there or else they, she would have just had no clue how to do this job, but she wasn't doing very well with it. But I just thought, man, how stressed, you know, she, she has just a tiny bit of preparation, I guess, when, before she goes into these people and think about, you know, not just having to inhabit a person's, life enough to convince their spouse or their friends or their family members or whatever that they're who they are, but to go and try to do their job that you would have no, you know, understanding of at all. And I just thought that would really be stressful, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, my take on that job was that it was, it was like a Facebook or an Amazon Mm. that it would, that it had, whatever it was, it had control of all the cameras Okay. people's homes so what what he was doing in what in the movie they acknowledge as a lowly job mm-hmm. was put on these goggles and and his supervisor says okay you're on curtains and blinds today and he was like okay and the, the one of the scenes where he gets hung up she gets hung up as him is that it's a bedroom and it's a couple having sex mm-hmm. and he gets distracted by that and he's supposed to be making notes on the curtains and blinds. And it, my impression was that there were multiple people stream by stream, each assigned to like data mine every aspect of what was in that picture. So not just, you know, so-and-so is having sex with such and such, but this is the kind of bedspread they have. This is the kind of bed. Yeah. This is the kind of curtains they have. It's a, you know, this is the kind of color paint they have at like data mining every possible in the most dispassionate, but most invasive way possible. Right. Um, which is how this a hole Sean Bean guy got so rich. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, he's, he's uh Zuckerberg plus, um, Bezos plus Bill Gates, like all, you know, yeah. all in one, uh, learning everything about everybody, not to blackmail them, but to like learn everything about them and market to sell to them. To them and, yeah. Yeah. To know them better than they really even understand that they know themselves. Right. And um, what was interesting to me about that was they, they didn't talk about it in the film, but it's like in a world where you can implant into somebody else's brain, AI hasn't gotten good enough that you, you need a person to sit there and register what kind of blinds there are. I mean, couldn't a computer, take that same image and see that that is model, whatever of blind, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the computer couldn't, those static elements of a room, a computer couldn't, why do you need a bank of people in the movie? It serves to show that the, the father has given this future son-in-law, the most degrading soul grinding, miserable. uh, He's given him a job in the company, but it's a, in a, a, the pinnacle of insulting jobs right. in the company. Um, and he insults him further because to when, his he, face. when he meets him, you know, he's like, Oh, I hope the job's, you know, not too difficult for you or, Oh, he's a, uh, he's an absolute monster. Yeah. It's really cruel. And, uh, oh. now another, I like Sean Bean. I've never seen Sean Bean be such a despicable. Yeah. Yeah. Either. There's a, um, there's a British, uh, sitcom. I think they only did like eight or 10 episodes where, and I can't remember what it's called, but where this guy is, it's just these nerdy people that, uh, have like a bookshop or something like that. And this one guy, um, he kind of when he fantasizes or he goes to sleep and he dreams, he goes into this world where, Basically, his subconscious is is Sean Bean as like this kind of gladiator guy. I don't know. It's uh, but it's really really funny. I'll ha- I'll have to come up with the name of it and, and tell you what he's it a is. gladiator it's, guy it's played really... by Sean Bean. Sean, he, he, yeah, played, played, played by, Sean by Sean Bean. Bean. His fantasy self is Sean Bean. Uh, no, no. It's like his in his uh, in his mind. It's right, like in the fantasy. Sean he's Bean. Like he's not. A, he's not. 
Yeah, it's it, it's the actor Sean Bean, you know, playing playing the character. He's not really a gladiator. He's like a knight, but it's like he gives them these pep talks and things about, you know, how to. But he's it's comedic. It's it's really I'm kind of butchering uh, uh, the gist of it, but I'll, I'll come up with a name and, and tell you. But it's a really great role for him because he's really funny in it. Um, he's still like badass Sean Bean, but he's but he's funny. But um, a, another thing that I wondered about, I wondered what your take on it was. Why do you think the where like the first uh, the first woman that she's in is she's supposed to shoot the guy and instead she stabs him. And then when she's in the man who is supposed to kill Sean Bean again, she's supposed to shoot and he has like a uh, uh, poker from a fireplace and he beats him to death and stabs him through the face and everything with that. What, what was, how did you I don't take think that? He, I don't, I don't think does kill him though. Right. Yeah. He, yeah, that's true. He, he's, he's alive. Names him, but yeah. doesn't even get the job done, but, but does relentlessly like sociopathically wail on him with it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I have some hypotheses. Well, I have an hypothesis is that I, because we don't have any other evidence of, we don't have any other evidence associated with it. Like there's no reason like, oh, this is that thing coming out, right? Um, It's just a pattern we see develop with this person when she's under stabs the first guy not once but like you know really goes after him with a knife and you're like yo what's happening um and then you see it established again with sean bean and 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 i can only think that it's supposed to be a sort of an indicator that she's been doing this too long and there are these artifacts and um you know weird reality things happening that it's make she's becoming psychopathic like she's having a psychotic break Mm -hmm. and that is uh that is one sign of it and i feel like it's it's slightly different than the inability to put the gun in their mouth and kill herself that's either a subconscious thing or the person doesn't she doesn't want to do that somehow or she's losing control and the person there's just enough of the person inside the self-preservation instinct that is keeping her from doing it. But I don't know that the film doesn't give us any more clues to answer that. What did you think? What, what I thought was, so I definitely thought that the, uh, in both instances when the person didn't shoot themselves, that that was their, um, you will know, to live. Yeah. Their will to live them having enough control to keep that from happening. But I kind of took the um, the way that each of them, uh, the target was killed or attempted to be killed. The by shooting them, that's kind of this impersonal, efficient way of doing it, right? Which is what the company wanted her to do, and. I kind of took that as with the first one stabbing the guy a bunch of times. And then also with this Tate beating the guy with the the poker, I kind of took that as they were having more control than what she was. And they hated these people. So it was, you know, the way they were killing them was much more personal and impassioned than what she was supposed to do, which was just supposed to shoot them and, you know what I mean? So I kind of I kind of took that as another well, indication that the that the the person was having more control than what she she was. That's interesting. That hadn't occurred to me, but I mean, I think that's equally plausible. It wasn't clear. Yeah, I didn't need it to be clear. No, but it didn't really matter in the end. But it was a hanging question. It, it goes into the bucket of this operator is exercising less and less control. Yeah. And the implication is that she used to be sort of the best. She used to be the kind of go-to, like, get it done agent. At one point, her boss is like, I'm grooming. Now, you don't know if she's messing with her or if she's being serious, which is as I'm sort of grooming you to be my replacement, ultimately. Um, you know, so that's both a vote of confidence, but you can't really trust that boss. That no, boss no. Definitely- <laughs> because she wants to there 
at the towards the end, she keeps the the Tasia is trying to get out of the guy. So she'll say when she's ready Pull to be out. pulled out, you know, she's like, take me out or get me out or whatever. And she just kept wanting to, to her to stay in there longer, which was, you know, probably detrimental to her uh, sanity or whatever. Um, well, another thing she, that I wondered, she hadn't finished the job though. Either. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And that's ultimately, that was another thing. I, again, some of this, I might be reading too much into it, but I kind of wondered if he was making a little bit of a commentary also about the idea that um, this seemed to be in the, in the beginning, I thought it was that she was a spy, like she worked for some kind of a government agency. And then I, I, you know, I think they were just a corporation and I, I kind of wondered if he was making a little bit of a, uh, a commentary to an extreme degree of how terrible corporations are that it's like, they literally, you know, the, the boss acts like she cares about her, but at the end it's, you know, ultimately it's the job and the money and, she doesn't really oh, care yeah. about her per- as a person or her sanity or, or any of that. No, I think that I think that's loud and clear throughout. The only two um, examples of sort of the corporate, the company we see are the assassination company and the Facebook company, and they're both sociopathic. Yeah, I mean, not, neither one of them cares a single whit about human life or privacy or decency or uh, any of that. Yeah, it's just clearly. And then what's interesting is to see what that has done to the actual human beings who work um, in those companies. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And the the company doesn't feel like such an outgrowth of Sean Bean as much as Sean Bean feels like the pilot of the company. Mm -hmm. You know, that you could kill Sean Bean. In fact, they do. They want to kill Sean Bean so that they can take over the company. They can take control of the company. It's not about Sean Bean. It's about the company, the company, the company. Yeah. You know? And um, that's not a new criticism of corporations. I think it's an apt criticism of corporations. But it makes... It's a bleak argument, and it's a bleak-feeling movie. And there's a lot of blood, and a lot of people get stabbed in the neck. And, you know, jets of blood squirt out of their neck, and people writhe around in literal pools of their own blood. Mm -hmm. And... Very bloody movie. I didn't find that as disturbing as Bone Tomahawk. No, no. That one was really upsetting. And this was like, yikes, that hurts. Like, ooh, right in the the juggler. (laughs) You know, but I I didn't, I wasn't like, you know, I I just was like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, still pumping. (laughs) But you know, one thing that a lot of blood, one thing that I was thinking about that. So, um, when I, so I watch, I have a Roku. So, you know, I went and searched on Roku and, you know, there were several different, uh, streaming services that you could watch this through. I, um, I watched it on prime and, but there was another, there's an uncut version of this. And, uh, which I think he had to pay like 10 bucks for or something. So I'm not going to watch the uncut. And there was only a minute off. difference between the. What? Yeah, only a minute. Oh my God. A minute difference. But I got to thinking, okay, between this. I bet you could Google that minute. I probably could. could, yeah. And I looked and they said it's just, you know, they cut out a little bit of violence and, and some sex. But, but I got to thinking, so b- between this and Bone Tomahawk that we watched last week, that were both rated R movies. Like, what does it take? What does a movie have to, to, and you know, both really graphic films. What does it take now that a a movie, you know, would be so extreme that it it can't get an R rating? You know what I mean? What is there? What is there left? Honestly, I honestly, I mean, to answer that, that feels like a rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah. My honest answer to it would be it would have to be sex. Yeah. Be Um, or I feel like. If the violence was so, if the violence was felt pornographic in its intent, do you know what I mean when I say that? Mm -hmm. If there is a, if it felt like the violence was sexualized in a way that 
crossed a line. And I don't know how to give you an example of that because I can't think of one. Yeah, um, I know what you mean, though. That 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 that, that it would get an NC seventeen rating or a or, or whatever, not NR. Is it just NR? Do they even rate movies X anymore? I, I think know. they do NC seventeen, or or it can be unrated. You know, but nothing above an R gets in theaters. Theaters. Um. Um. But I think you know if it's sexual, and if you see, um, penetrate. I mean, you know, yeah, if it, that's if it's ex- that would be I think for seeing, sure. Seeing the naked body is okay, is permissible if it's done in a quote unquote. And I'm not talking; these are not my terms, but what I imagine the the board thinks is, you know, if it's within the boundaries of taste, you can get away with it. You know, full frontal male nudity rarely makes it in, although occasionally full frontal female nudity does. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you can see butts and breasts and you can see people having sex as long as you're not actually seeing the act. Yeah. You know, but the minute you start to see anything uh, objectionable, like penetration, it, they're just like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is. I think it's really interesting because in some ways the violence like sex is something <laughs> that is is not inherently destructive it's inherently creative um and it's something that I think the vast majority of human adults is going to do in their lifetime mm-hmm. whereas murder I would like to think I'm sure it happens. I know it happens all the time. I'd like to think of it as an unnatural act. Um, That's depicted with great abandon. And in this movie, the human body is violated in many ways by knives and guns and bullets and, you know, just repeated like hacking with a butcher knife and whacking him with that pole and keep cutting back to his face and he jams it down his throat. It's just like, I use this word a little casually in this context, but it's it. They have elements of rape. It is a vicious um, violation of another human body, um, and blood everywhere. And yet they're like, yeah, "Okay, R." Mm-hmm. But the minute you know, so he's having sex with his girlfriend, and maybe there's a point where you see too much of her butt. You know, maybe you see her butthole for a second. They're like, "No, no, 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 no." No, and I'm not necessarily arguing that it, you know, I don't have a, uh, <laughs> like, I don't have a platform that I'm trying to sure. preach here. I just think it's, I think it's interesting that in America, a, a absolutely um, unforgettable level of violence is permissible as an R rating, but the actual depiction of intercourse on screen is, is just unpermissible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always seems... been the thing that, that America has always had hangups about versus uh, say the Europeans, for example, it's kind of the opposite where it's like, you know, European films, it's, uh, sometimes, you know, there's a lot of nudity or there's sex in them or whatever. And that's just viewed as that's okay. Um, and whereas here, like you're saying, it's like, well, you can have as much violence as you want. That's perfectly fine. But if there's a certain degree of nudity or sex or whatever, then that's that's not permissible. You kind of wonder if, you know, as we get to more and more um, dream and, you know, there's, there's time. Now, this movie, I looked up the numbers. I don't know how many theaters it was in, but it only made eight hundred thousand dollars. So it was it was released not widely but over time increasingly just movies like this aren't going to make it into theaters probably at all um Mm. you know these these kind of things will just go straight to streaming and then do those ratings even mean anything anymore you know right they can do you you know you you kind of guess maybe some of these uh um boundaries would be or restrictions or whatever would be kind of loosened you know they could show whatever they want as far as violence they could show whatever they want as far as sex you know and 
if it's just for a, unless, you know, I suppose this, the streaming services could have certain standards. I mean, I guess maybe Netflix, they're, you know, they're not going to have like hardcore pornography or something like that on there, but, but it, it just, you know, at some point they would just circumvent any kind of ratings board. And it's like, this is just what it is. There's no rating, you know, or this is, it might say, you know, 18 and over and that's it. But yeah, I just, I I just thought that was kind of interesting watching this. I was just like, wow. And again, I don't, I don't have any problem with any of this, but uh, I just thought, man, this is, you know, two weeks in a row, these extremely violent movies and they're R rated. And it's like, what do you have to do from a violence standpoint? to right for it to, to be not acceptable you know right. what's that well bone to- bone tomahawk at least from the very opening scene where there are these two outlaws murdering this band of cowboys like we don't know anything the the, the the it says you know the the titles play and then we hear the sound of a guy's throat being cut and then the lights come up and there's a guy that you know we see the guy mm-hmm. making the sound by cutting the throat and i think if anything if that if you go oh well no thank you then i guess the movie could fairly say well we warned you right off the top right it's that kind of movie you don't always get that per se you know and Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean i guess if you sit through that it still doesn't prepare you for a guy getting cut in half and eaten but i don't know i mean r rating doesn't prepare you for that no (laughs) you know it's uh it doesn't, I don't know. I, and I, again, I, I, I'm not advocating for like open pornography, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's hard to, as we make, as we have this discussion, it's hard to draw that line. Yeah. Like where it, it depends on who gets to who you hand the red pen to because, excuse me, who one person might be offended by this or that, or another, and another person might not. And it's going to differ for, from person to person and I'm not personally offended by nudity in and of itself, Mm -hmm. but you know, nudity can be prevent presented on screen in a a hugely wide variety of ways. And you can have a very, very upsetting scene that doesn't involve quote unquote pornographic depiction of, you know, sex, but it can still be, you know, an image, say, depicting rape that is extremely upsetting. Right. But it didn't up. Technically, you didn't see anything. And you're like, I saw enough like that. I'm that I'm not going to never going to forget that. Like that was really upsetting. So if you just say you can see one breast and one buttock, but no, nope, you know, and then it's a it's like you can't really you have to kind of look at the thing itself and say, what are we doing? I mean, I guess they have to have some rules. I mean, sure. somebody has to have some kind of guideline, but. And, you know, there was a neat, uh, uh, neat, I don't know if it's the right word, but I, I thought there was a clever. Neat. There was a, <laughs> there was a clever thing that he did in the, the director did in this movie, exactly along the lines of what you're talking about, which I'm sure he was making a statement with this. There's a, when you're talking about, you know, that you can't show penetration, there's a scene where, when, um, she goes to uh, uh, goes to spend the night at, with her husband and they're having sex and, you know, he's on top of her and you see her face and they zoom in on her face and they do a quick cut to um, a man's uh, a knife going into this man's throat that she had killed early in the movie. And I thought that was interesting. You know, yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I'm, I imagine he was probably saying I can't show uh, penetration in a sexual sense, but I can show this knife going into this guy's throat and penetrating. That's that's perfectly okay within a scene of sex happening. You know, I thought that was a, I thought that was a clever little, little thing. Well, we're talking about it. I mean, I think that was all very deliberate. Yeah, definitely. Illustrating that he's, you know, uh, you know, he's a, he's a filmmaker with, that's playing with a lot of these ideas and the film has got us talking about all of these ideas. And I think, you know, those are all successes of the film. I think, you know, just zooming back out for a second, I think they marketed it as a horror movie because they're hoping, they're hoping to get more people to see it. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, I, I have produced a movie that we sold and that was taken and it was not a zombie movie, but it was marketed as a zombie movie. And I know that I read the reviews. A lot of people saw the movie who was just huge zombie enthusiasts mm -hmm. and were bitterly disappointed in our movie because, as I said, it is not a zombie movie. Right. But, you know, it was very deliberately marketed in that way. And that's a crappy move. I mean, I, you know, I don't I'm not saying I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just saying you listen to the trailer and you watch the trailer. And I was actually a little scared to see this movie. I thought, oh, man, it uh, looks, looks pretty, pretty freaky intense. from the I don't know if I from the trailer. This, yeah. I got through it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bone Tomahawk was more upsetting to me. Yeah, it's it's not really a frightening film. And him as a director, I, I think it's kind of interesting. But this, it is an interesting film. Yeah, very much so. Um, and this is just the second movie that he's that he's directed. He directed another one in 2012 called uh, Antiviral, um, which I think got some some pretty good buzz at the time. So I don't really know why. The only other thing that he's done is a short, like a 10 minute short. Uh, in between, but so I don't really know why it was so long in between films for him, but he's he's definitely a guy I'd like to see. Uh, and this has gotten a good bit of buzz, but he's definitely a guy that I'd like to see more from him. Well, so we are um, we're just getting towards time in terms of what we want to kind of wrap this up. Would you recommend this to people? Yeah, I definitely would. I mean, it's, I think people, as I said, I, you know, I think this kind of felt like, uh, had a black mirror vibe to it. So people who like black mirror, you know, it has that bleak kind of feeling and it's, we're not exactly sure when it is in the future. It's, you know, it's kind of a near future as, as we get in a lot of black mirror episodes. Um, and as we, you know, this isn't for the squeamish it's, it's definitely, there's a lot of blood and, um, you know, some pretty brutal killings, but yeah, I, I mean, I would, people who like, it's not a sci-fi, as you said, with spaceships and laser beams and all of that, but more kind of, if you like cerebral, kind of thought-provoking sci-fi then i would this is worth a watch i agree 100 and i think i think your uh your your evocation of black mirror is perfect so if you're looking for something to scare the pants off of you as the trailer and the promo stuff that i've seen seems to imply uh i would just say take note it it doesn't feel like that movie to me it does feel like a feature length episode of black mirror with you know black mirror's got a, a lot of times has a kind of a cheeky wink feel to it it's like before it twists the knife it's like gotcha or something there's sort of a playful feeling to a lot of it um and this doesn't have any playfulness in it there's no playfulness in this movie but it is definitely thought provoking and thought through. And if you're into sort of uh, bloody, you know, it's not horror per se, but it's definitely bloody bloody, and a lot of stabbing and stuff, then I would say it's worth watching, you know, but it's a little, it's a little misleading um, in, in the marketing of it. So um, in terms of next week, what shall we watch for next time, well, we, my friend? We talked a, about a couple uh, more yeah. in the vein of the cheesy and uh, campy and all that. So we talked about that Kill and Kill Again, which is a um, early 80s uh, martial arts movie. But we also talked about The Hand starring Michael Caine, um, which he seemed intrigued with which which of those what do you think you'd want to watch or something else well um let's let's do both of those but which will we do next i i'm i'm ready for some corny let's go to kill and kill again okay because that looks like that might be can't be fun and then we'll decide whether we want to follow it we definitely want to get to the hand mm -hmm. yeah which is exactly what you imagine it is but <laughs> it's got michael kane in the lead <laughs> yep <laughs> And, I, and it's so, either written or directed by Oliver Stone. So, what? Yeah. Oh, yep. man. I don't know. Should we watch that Let's one? do it next. All right. So okay. we're going to do the hand. Um, 
Michael Caine stars in a movie about <laughs> a guy that loses I mean, his hand. And it, you're just you're like, could it be? And you're like, yes, it is. Yep. Uh, so we're gonna watch that. Watch watch that with us for next time, and uh, we will uh, we will talk to you next week. <laughs> See you, everybody. <laughs>